My name is Pastor Andrew, and I would like a puppy and a new car. I'd like the 49ers to be better. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. I, I was uh, wondering how many of you guys had a, a nice, relaxing Saturday yesterday? Show of hands. Yeah, what is that like? You know, that sounds so good. I'm, I'm, some of you are dancing right now. I'm, I'm kind of envious. Uh, yesterday was two soccer games in Sacramento, and, um, and then one in Oakland, and then a birthday party. So it was, it was very, very busy. Um, don't tell my kids, but I, I can't wait till soccer season is over. You know, it's, it's, it's been very competitive for me, you know. <laughs> it's been crazy. Um, I, I wanted to, to start this morning by asking you guys if you have ever heard someone come up to you and go, I got good news and I have bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? You guys have heard? That's, that's been said to you before, right? How many of you guys say, uh, give me the bad news first? Yeah. Okay, most of you. How many of you like, give me the good news and then give me the good news again? How many of you like that? I, I'm a little bit like that. I'm a little bit like that. I, I like to shield myself from bad news. I like to actually put like a helmet, actually a, more like a pot over my head and just pretend everything in the pot is good news. Uh, one example, sometimes I just do this like subconsciously. Uh, five years into marriage, there was one day I was, uh, one night I was like drifting off in, into sleep. Uh, I was in my bed, drifting off into sleep. And then suddenly I heard this voice. It was very crisp. And it came from next to me on the bed. And it sounded a lot like Raina. And it said, Andrew, do you think you're a good husband? Yeah, that really happened. And, and, and I was there, you know, like, you know, kind of drifting off into sleep. And I said, huh, what? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> and then I fell back asleep. True story. And, uh, and then, like, the next morning, I was like, hey, were you trying to, to tell me something? And uh, believe me, Raina found time to tell me what she wanted to tell me. Believe me. But, but I, I, I subconsciously just fell asleep, maybe. Maybe because I didn't want to hear it. Maybe because I didn't really want to change. And so I just kind of fell asleep. Anyone here kind of like, you want to shield yourself from bad news because you kind of want to be happy, you know? You want to be happy in your little bubble, right? And so you tell yourself bubble things, right? Anyone like that? Okay, I'm totally like that. I'm totally like that. But sometimes... The bad news is something I really need to hear. But, you know, I, I don't want to change, so I don't want to hear the bad news. You know, um, on the, the same line of thinking, uh, when, when my dad got sick with cancer, our relatives got together. I wasn't part of this meeting, but my relatives got together. And they said, you know, we need to keep this a secret from my dad's mom. So they didn't tell her. And then a couple years later when he died, they still didn't tell her. They decided to keep her in the dark because she was like, I don't know, she was like maybe uh, young 80s at the time. They're like, oh, you know, she's burdened, she worries. We, we don't want to like load her down with that sort of burden. So they never told her. 
And then 10 years went by. And my grandma never heard from her son. And so there will be days that she would be asking about him. Like, hey, what happened to Lianchi? He's in America. She was in Taiwan. Hey, what happened to him? And the relatives would go, oh, don't worry about him. He's very happy and he's busy, so he can't really talk. But then after 10 plus years of not a single letter, not a, you know, not a single phone call, she started to come up with these theories. And uh, one of her theories was that my dad had an affair and left the family and then out of shame uh, wouldn't want to call his mom. And so when my grandma died, she went to her grave uh, having no clue what happened to my dad. Now, I'm just wondering... Uh, for you guys, do you, do you think my, my relatives did the right thing? Okay, let me put it this way. If you were my grandma, how many of you would want to know the truth? Raise your hands. Okay. Is there anyone here who would be like, no, just leave me to be happy, thinking whatever I want to be happy, you know? I, I'm kind of like that. But then you, you kind of think about it. Like, okay, let's say my grandma did know. Like, she... It's not like she could have changed the outcome, you know. It's not like she was going to come up with a cure for cancer during that time. But you know what she could have done? I bet you she would have flown back to America. I bet you she would have supported the family when my father was going through chemotherapy. I bet you would, she would have made, like, his favorite foods, you know, like the soups that he likes. Maybe they would have had a conversation. Maybe she would have told them how much she loves him. Maybe she would have had a chance to say goodbye. Uh, you know, I, I actually think it is, it is kind of worth knowing that information that you don't really want to know. Even if it's bad news, even if it's, like, heartrending, you still want to know. Okay, you guys, I, I, um, An is so great. I mean, he did such a great introduction, and, and you know, everyone's having such a great time. I, I kind of feel bad. I kind of feel like, you know, I want to apologize and say sorry for the weight of this message, but this message has been weighing on me, and I just feel like God wants me to give it to you guys straight. So I, I'm not going to apologize, but, but here it is. We're in a similar situation. There is some, um, there's some, really, um, there's some really bad news. There, there's good news, and there's also bad news. And, and today, I, I'm going to tell you guys what the bad news is. And it's one of those things where if you really put your arms around it, it could very well break your heart and change your life. I really do believe that. Or you don't need to listen to this message. You can whip out your iPhone and play Candy Crush. Like that was the only time I would encourage it. Go ahead and do that. You can go to the fellowship hall and take a nap. I won't be offended, you know. Or you could like say, you know, I don't really want to hear bad news today. I want to be happy in my world and I'm just going to not have to change anything. So those are really the two options that we have this morning. Um, I'm going I'm to pray for us. Can we, can we stand uh, and then just kind of make your hearts ready? Again, I'm not going to apologize, but I do... Uh, you'll see what I mean in a moment. Okay, we're going we're gonna to pray. Um, dear Lord God, um, I, I pray that this morning you would break hearts and you would call people. I'm asking that you would send some people from our church and their lives would never be the same. I'm asking this in the power of your name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I know you're doing something. And so um, I'm just trusting for you to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, last Sunday, Raina was, uh, was, was here, and it was interesting. She was crying through the whole service. God's doing something in her heart. It's weird when your own husband is up here and you're, you're crying, you know, because she already knew what I was going to talk about. But I, God was doing something. During the second set of worship, I was in tears. I was just crying. I think God's doing something with us. So this is coming straight from the heart. I don't know if you can tell that already, but it's coming straight from the heart. Um, so two weeks ago, I, um, it's weird, how the, all the context of my stories, I'm lying in bed. I'm, uh, I was lying in bed. Two, two weeks ago, I was lying in bed, and I, I said, Raina, and she's like brushing her teeth. I said, Raina, I've got to tell you something, and um, I've never told you this before. It's, it's my secret confession. Okay, I've never told Raina this before. I said, honestly, I'm hoping there's a second chance for people who don't believe in Jesus. I said that. No, no. clearly, you guys know that I, 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 I read the Bible. I, I take the Bible seriously, right? And I have to say that one of the things that disturbs me the most, this is a pastor just being as honest as he possibly can be, one of the things that disturbs me the most is the doctrine of hell. I don't like to think about it. Loved ones, where they're going to go if they don't believe it. I don't, I, don't, I don't like to think about that. I try not to think about that as often as I can. And I said, Raina, I've been hoping that there's a second chance for people who don't believe, even to the point where I'm building my life around it. Because if there's a second chance and people, they die and they, they hear the gospel presentation again, then I don't have to be like a Jesus freak. And I don't have to be offensive. I can be nice and passive and silent. And, you know, sometimes I prefer to do that. But I'm looking at the Bible, and I don't have much to stand on believing that there is a second chance. But I'm building my whole life around that hope, and I don't see much of it in the Bible. Now, how many of you guys are married, you like married well? But by the way, if, you're, if your spouse is here, you, you should be raising your hands, okay? Yes, yes, come on. Okay, I, I married well. Uh, I think at that moment, Raina very well could have said, you know, what kind of pastor are you, right? You know, and she would have been very justified in saying something like that. It's my honest confession. She didn't do that. She said, well, she's a counselor, you know. She goes, um, I understand you feel that way. You care about people. I, I do care about people. She said, I think it's okay for you to feel that way. Well, <laughs> two days later, and so this is God's stirring in my heart. Okay, two days later, I'm reading chapter 7 of Radical. We're going through the book of Radical. For those of you who want a copy, it's, we're selling it in the Fellowship Hall for cheap. I read chapter 7. It's the most compelling case I have ever heard on world missions. Now, this is my subjective take on it. And I was crushed. Again, it was one of those situations where I, I'm like, you know, I'm going to read this, you know, some light reading so I can prepare for my message and then I'm going to go to bed. So I read this and I'm just like, I'm so disturbed. I'm so heartbroken. Raina's like brushing her teeth again. It's the same context. I'm like, Raina, we need to talk about this chapter. She's like, no, I need to go to bed. I'm like, no, no, please talk to me about this chapter for 20 minutes, right? We talk about the chapter. I still can't go to sleep. I'm like taking a, like a sleeping pill 
I'm waking up in the morning. I'm not, I'm not, gonna try, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm not going to think about it. But what I read is what I actually want to present to you this morning. Actually, I don't want to present that to you. But I feel compelled to. Okay? Because I actually believe that God's going to call people from our community to make a difference. So that's why I'm telling it to you guys. Um, so, so, so get ready for this. Okay, I'm going to give you the presentation that uh, David Platt gives in chapter 7 of that book. Now, first, he starts off with this question. Okay, how many people are there in the world today? There is 7 plus billion. Okay, 2.5 plus would say that they are Christian. Let's be generous and say, you say you're a Christian, awesome, you're a Christian, you're in, okay? There's 4.5 million who don't know Jesus, and there's 1 billion who have never even heard the name of Jesus, you know? Or maybe they've heard it, but they, they don't know anything else. The question that Dave Platt asks is, what is going to happen to those people when they die? It's a fair question. What is going to happen to those people when they die? He says, there is no greater question that the Christians in America face. And there is no greater question that actually might change their very lives. But there is the question. Now, here's what David Platt does. David Platt does not tell, like, this inspiring story, and I read it and I go, yeah! It's not like that. You know what David Platt does? It's really amazing. He just walks through the line of reasoning in the book of Romans. Dave Platt is not, does not have enough authority to make people go. But you know what does? Scripture. Scripture has that authority. Let's read, uh, starting in Romans 1. There are five truths, Okay. He gives seven. I want to be nice to you guys and reduce it to five, okay? We're going to try to go through this quickly, but I don't think there's really a lot of quick about it, but we'll try, okay? Truth number one from Romans chapter one. If you have a Bible, uh, open to Romans chapter one. Okay. And we're going to start in verse 19. Truth number one is this. If you guys want to fill in the blanks, you can go ahead and do that. The first one is all people have knowledge of God. So the, the, the key word is knowledge. You guys can write knowledge into the, your, your outline. All people have knowledge of God. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now, who's they? They is all people. The point here is all people have knowledge of God. All people. So this includes the man in Africa. This includes the Asian woman in the village in China. This includes the nomad in the desert. They all have knowledge of God. Now, how? It's, it's through what he's created. It's through the trees, the beauty of the trees. It's through the glory of the heavens. It's through a beautiful sunset. God has made it plain to everyone his eternal qualities. So all people are without excuse because they have at least a baseline knowledge of God. That's the starting point. All people have knowledge of God. Okay, let's move on to the second truth. 
All people have knowledge of God. All people reject God. Reject is the key word. You can write that down in the outline. All people reject God. Now, why do they reject him? Actually, let's read the, let's read the scripture here. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, what's being taught here is that in the human heart, there's a throne. And instead of honoring God in the way that he deserves to be honored, instead of cherishing and thanking God in the way that he deserves to be thanked and cherished, everyone has just kicked him out of that throne. And in its place, we have preferred idols. We put idols on the throne of our hearts. Now, why do we do that? It has, it has, it's a combination between the disposition of the human heart and our free choice, but we are substituting God for idols. Now, these are either like literal idols or metaphorical idols, like ambition, like money, like relationships, like the approval of others. But we have rejected God. Every person on the face of this planet has rejected God. They have knowledge of God and they've rejected God. Now, at this point, someone, you know, raises their hand and go, well, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What about the innocent man in the jungle of Africa who has never heard about Jesus? Now, what's going to happen to him when he dies? It's a fair question. Now, interestingly, Platt takes this on and goes, you know something? I have no question about that. That innocent man in Africa who dies will go to heaven. Ah, but there is one thing. There is no such thing as an innocent man. Remember, you said innocent man. There is no such thing as an innocent man. All people have rejected God. God has given them this beautiful world to live in. And he's given us this masterpiece called a body. And he's given us loved ones and food to eat. And instead of honoring God and thanking him, we have dishonored him and been ungrateful and have substituted idols for the living God. All people have rejected God. And now we go to our next point. But before we go to our next point, um, you know, we, we, we would like to think that the default is heaven. The default, when someone dies, it's heaven. You know, we've gone to funerals and... Uh, you know, something nice is always said that, oh, this person is in a better place. But Romans is making it very clear that all people have rejected God. So the default is not heaven. The default uh, So let's go to the third, uh, third truth. The third truth is this. All people stand guilty and condemned for rejecting God. All people stand guilty and condemned for rejecting God. I put some verses in your outline. You can go and check those verses out um, on your own. But the scripture is clear that all people will be held accountable 
before God. All people will be held accountable and all people have rejected them. So they are in this place of guilt and condemnation. But now someone says, hey, listen, hold hold, 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 on one second, one second. Surely people who have never heard of Jesus won't be held accountable, right? Because you're held accountable for what you know. And there's the one billion plus who have never really heard of Jesus, so they won't be held accountable. They'll be excused from condemnation, right? Now, Platt takes this argument on and he goes, look, you can follow that line of reasoning, but that's not where Roman goes. And that line of reasoning doesn't really hold up. Now, why doesn't it hold up? Well, if that line of reasoning were true, then we should just put a stop to all world missions, right? Just put a stop to any sort of mission in, missionary endeavor altogether. And if you ever meet a person who's never um, heard about Jesus, then what you should say is, that is great. Like, let's say Bruce is like, Bruce, you've never heard about Jesus. That's awesome. Here's what you got to do for the rest of your life. If someone starts talking about Jesus, you just go, whoa, 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 wait up. You close up your ears. You go, la, 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 like that. Right? I mean, if you're following that line of reasoning, that's what you should do. Just never, keep, just shut it down. So that way, you won't be held accountable for what you don't know. Right? And David Platt's like, that's ridiculous. That's dumb. That kind of line of reasoning doesn't hold up. That's not where Romans is going. Okay, now, I, I realize I told you that this was bad news, and I'm delivering on that promise, right? This is, this is terrible. Um, all people have knowledge of God. All people reject God. All people are held responsible. They are guilty and condemned before the holy God. You're like, didn't you say something about good news, right? There is good news. Okay, this is the good news. The good news, let me hear you guys say good news. Is anyone hungry for some good news? Okay, there's some really good news that's coming. And here's, uh, here is the, the fourth truth. God has made a way of salvation for the lost. God has made a way of salvation for the lost. This is Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is good news. And the good news is that we are talking about how there's not even one innocent man. Actually, there was an innocent man. There's, there's one perfect man. He was completely God and he was a complete human being. And he walked the face of this earth and he died on a cross and his death gave life to all who believed in his name. And he was struck down with blame so that we could be blameless. And he became sin so that we could become sinless. That is good news. God has made a way of salvation, not just a way, but the way of salvation through his own son, and his own son's sacrifice. And that is good, good, good news in a sea of bad news. It's good, 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 good news. I, I talked about my father. I, I didn't really fill out the story. I, I want to tell you his story. My dad um, was the original 
tiger dad. How many of you guys have tiger dads? How many of you guys, like, your tiger dad is here? And it's embarrassing for you to raise your hands. My dad is right there. You tiger dad. My dad was, like, the original tiger dad. He was the original tiger dad. He, I, I always imagined him, like, with a ruler, like a big stick or something, right? When, when I was um, young, and to this day, I have vivid pictures of my father. And most of those pictures, he's, like, spanking me, right? <laughs> that, was, that was my dad. He was a really hard, non-emotional guy. But something happened when he was 45 years old. He started doing some weird things. Like one day after work, he couldn't remember where he parked his car. Now, I could see myself doing that at like age 40, right? But not my dad. My dad wasn't like that. He couldn't remember where he parked his car. And so he started doing all these weird things. We sent him to the doctors to get checked out. And he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. For the next two years, my dad lived in our living room. He was, uh, he was in his hospital bed, and his, and his life was slowly ebbing. His life was slowly slipping away, and he was just living in our living room. And every day, there was dad dying in my living room. He was taking chemotherapy, and his hair started to fall out. And then the, his, uh, his gums started to majorly recede. And then he became just a skeleton with skin. That was, that was my dad. My dad was a very prideful person, self-made man, self-made man, all through hard work. But he started to realize that this was the thing, the one thing he couldn't fix. And his cancer, he just had zero control. And he realized that he wasn't going to make it. Now, not being a religious man, he didn't know what was going to happen next. And so there was this fear that was growing in his heart. He would go to church, but he was that guy in the back who would fall asleep during all the messages and the worship, you know? He was that guy, right? He was not really engaged, but he did make a friend. And that friend was James Chai. And I've, I've talked to you about this friend. And his friend would go to my dad, and he would he would open up the scriptures, and he would read from the scriptures, and then he would pray for my dad. And this happened several times. Um, one, one time he came up to me, you know, he has like a, this really big accent. He's like, you know, Enzo, your daddy, he really believed in Jesus. You will see your daddy again. This is after my, my dad. You will see your daddy again. I, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't really understand like, okay, well, thank you. Those are nice words, right? I really didn't understand. But then a couple of years later, I, I became a Christian and it started to really hit me. I'm going to see my dad again. And then it started to well up in me. I can't believe what a debt of gratitude I owe Mr. Chai. And then I became the pastor. And you just kind of think that these people from your past are always going to be around. They're always going to, they're like fixtures, you know? But I started to realize my time to thank Mr. Chai is coming, the window of time is really coming to a very quick close. And so I called him up last year. I called him, he was out of the blue. I'm like, Mr. Chai. This is Andrew. This is Andrew. I've been wanting to say something to you for a long time. I have to yell because you couldn't really hear very well. For for a long time. And today I said, okay, I'm going to call you and tell you. He was like, who is this? You know, (laughs) he was like, Andrew? And then he always did this. He always did this. He goes, Andrew. Oh, Andrew. 
you are doing God's work. That's what he would say to me. You go, you are doing God's work, right? And I go, Mr. Tsai, Mr. Tsai, you shared Jesus with my dad before he passed away. He goes, oh, your, your daddy is my good friend. And I would read from the word of God. And your daddy, he believed. I said, Mr. Tsai, I am never going to be able to repay that debt of gratitude. You shared Jesus with my dad. I'm going to see him again. And he said, he wouldn't, he wouldn't let me thank him. He's like, no, 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 no. I would like you just doing God's work, you know. I'm doing God's work. Don't thank me. But I am thankful for him. The scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And at that moment, I knew exactly what that scripture meant. How beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. Now, this is good news. Can I hear you guys say good news? Okay, but in the context of this message, I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. It's actually bittersweet. Now, this is the sweet part for people who believe. There is going to be eternity and paradise and joy. There's going to be this amazing, amazing banquet. But it's very bitter for the people who don't believe. Now, can we just face up to that reality for a few seconds? It's going to be very bitter for people who don't believe. 4.5 billion people are going in a certain way. And if the Roman argumentation and we embrace it and see where it's going, that's 4.5 billion people who are going to be eternally separated from God. And that is known as hell. More than one billion have never even heard of Jesus and what he did and the salvation, the way that God has made, the good news in this sea of bad news. They have never even heard it. Now, now can we just for a moment let that sink in? When I couldn't sleep, I'm thinking of the 4.5 billion people who are headed that way. You know? Now, um, I, I know that we can look at a number and we go, 4.5 billion, that's a number, Andrew. I wanted to personalize it a little bit. And so I went on the internet. I just found a few pictures. I want to share a little bit about some um, people out there who don't know Jesus. And so the first one is, is this man right here. Uh, he is a Bedouin in Algeria. That's Northern Africa. There's 1.4 million Bedouins in Algeria. And uh, they, they eat just a little bit of food a day. They, 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 um, they live in these portable tents covered with goat hair. You know, it's very portable because they're, they're wanderers. They're nomads. There is no church for these Bedouins. Not a single church. 100% Muslim. No Jesus, no missionary, no church. 1.4 million. It's just the reality. That man is one of the 
Actually, he's one of the billion people who might go to his grave, never hurrying about Jesus and his salvation. Can, can we show the next picture? This is a woman from Tibet. Look at, look at her. She looks like one of us. I mean, she could very well be in this pew right now, that woman right there. In Tibet, there are 0.3% Christians in Tibet right now. There are eight times as many Buddhist monks in Tibet as there are Christians. The Christians are small, but they're thriving and they're growing. But most of the Tibetans at this point may never hear of Jesus and what he did and that salvation. They are headed a certain way. Okay, I know this has been pretty heavy. And these are pictures of people who are unreached. The next picture I want to show you guys is not a picture of unreached, but people that you know who are overreached, okay? Uh, the first two pictures are meant to be heavy. This one is meant to be a little bit lighthearted. Let's have a little bit of joy, a little bit of release in the sea of all this bad news. Take a look at this. You're going to love it. Give him a kiss. <laughs> Christopher, why don't you give Ryan a kiss? <laughs> Oh, there you go. Okay, that's a no. Oh, get away from me. Stop, stop. <laughs> Happy New Year, Ryan. Happy New Year, Christopher. Happy New Year, Christopher. <laughs> that's Christopher right there. Now, how many of you guys think my kids are the cutest kids in the world? Go ahead, raise your hand. Don't be shy. Oh, even cuter than your kids? Not that it's a competition. My kids are pretty cute. They are pretty dang cute. Actually, they used to be cute. This is like years old. They're not as cute anymore. Nowadays, yeah, it, those, those days, I love those days. I think back on them. You want to see the video again? Let's see the video again. Now, now I, I just want to make an observation. When I, when I saw the first two pictures, I, I was engaging them with my mind. Maybe you were too. But the last one, when I saw the video, I engaged it with my heart. Why? Well, those are, those are my babies. Those are my babies. Those are my babies. Actually, when they came out of the womb, and I tell them this, I was the first person to say hello. That was me. That was me. That was my spot. Actually, I might have been the nurse, but no, no, it was me. It was me, right? And, and it was funny because when my second kid came out, I looked at him, and I, my first thought was like, man, he looks like an old man. Don't, don't tell him I said that. <clears throat> but he looks like my dad, right? And so I put my face next to him. I said, dad? Like that. Now, <clears throat> I don't believe in reincarnation. That was not what I'm trying to get at. I was just having, it just seemed like the thing to do, right? And so when I tell the kids their stories, I tell Christopher. I looked at him and dad? My son, Christopher, a couple of years ago, got Kawasaki's disease. Yeah, this rash came over his, his body and he started to get thinner and it wouldn't go away. And we were looking at him, we're thinking, this kid looks like he's going to die. So we rushed him over to the hospital. And for those several nights that he was in the hospital, I was there too. You know, it kind of felt like I had Kawasaki's, honestly. It was like I had Kawasaki's. And then there was the incident where my first son scored his first goal. You know, I was just like, yeah, you know, I was like, and I was like crying. So it was kind of like, yeah, right. And I was like, that was not just his goal. That was my first goal. You guys don't agree with me. It was because my kids are like a walking extension of my heart. They're like my heart with legs on it. This is, you know, this is my kids walking around. 
I love my kids. Now, can we go back and look at that Bedouin picture, the, the man? There is someone in this world that looks at that man and goes, that's my baby. Probably his mom. Can we see the picture of the Tibetan woman? Someone in the world looks at that woman and says, that's my girl. Now, let me ask you, as, as valuable as my kids are to me and as valuable as your kids are to you, are their lives any less valuable? 4.5 billion. Are their lives any less valuable than the lives of our own children? And the answer is, the answer should be, no. Okay, now, I, everyone in this room is just feeling awful. <laughs> and, and now you understand why I could not go to sleep. And now, this is our problem together. So that then we look to the Bible, we say, okay, 4.5 billion. The solution is Jesus. God, what's the plan? Okay, now we go to truth five. Here is the plan. Here is the plan. We have the solution. Here is the plan for the 4.5 billion. Christ commands the church to make the gospel known to all peoples. What's the plan? You are the plan. I am the plan. The church is the plan. We are the plan. Uh, This is Romans chapter 10. Uh, Read this with me. Uh, Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, that's the end product. We'll be saved. Now we're going kind of backwards, but let's go. Verse 14. But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are, what's the word? Sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. This is the promise. God sends his people. That's the plan. God sends his people. Those people speak. And when they speak, the other people will hear. And when other people hear, some of them will believe. And when they believe, they will call. And when they call, they will be saved. But it does start with people being sent, right? It's almost like that's the missing piece that cannot go missing. People from God's church must be sent. I shared this last week. Numbers, just numbers. 4.5 billion don't know Christ. Over 1 million have never even heard of the name of Christ. In our church, there are 171 active adults. One out of every three has gone on a missions trip in the last 10 years. That's pretty good, right? You can, guys can nod your heads. I'm, it's not like a trick question. That's, that's good, right? You guys want to pat someone else on the back? That's good. One out, one, out, one out of three has gone. That's great. How many people from our church have we sent out as career missionaries from the community of our church. As far as I know, that number is zero. 
Maybe God is calling someone from our community right now to be a part of that plan. I'll tell you something. I had a mentor pastor who said, Andrew, don't you shy away from asking people for hard things, to sacrifice. And they said to me, people don't mind sacrificing. They just want to know that their sacrifice means something. This $4.5 billion is a sacrifice for us, yes, but it's one that will mean something. I think of um, Sharon's dad. I think of, I think of Dan, Dan Jew. And I, I've had um, lunch with him on several occasions, and he's told me his story like this. When he was a middle-aged man after coming to Christ, he was called to missions. And basically, he said, no thanks. I, I'm, I'm busy, God. No thanks. And so he said no. And then his kids grew up, and they left the house, and he was called to missions again. And that time, he said, God, I'm not going to say no again. This is your second chance. I'm going. They picked up. They left. They went to South America. They went to China. They went to Burma. Ten-plus years of full-time ministry on the field. billion. What is God's plan? He sends a man who said no, but now is saying yes. I think of Lauren Tong. After she graduated from college, she spent one year in Africa, loving on Africans, letting them know the love of Jesus, the gospel of grace. But normally, like, you know, on the path, like after college, you got to do something that builds the resume, right? Amen? Yeah, 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 right? Well, $4.5 billion, I don't know. It seems to me there might be some better choices. Really, really good choices. It seems to me that we can say, God, whatever you want to do. Not if you want to send me, I'll go. But maybe some of us should say, God, here I am. Send me. I want to go. I want my life to make a difference. I think of my cousin, Evelyn. I don't know if I've I've told you about my cousin. My cousin has always wanted her life to be spent on God's glory. She's always wanted her life to be spent on God's glory. She wanted to make a sacrifice, and she wanted that sacrifice to mean something. So when she was, uh, I think, about 40 or mid-30s, she moved all the way to Shanghai. They adopted a little girl. And now her and her husband have opened this ministry or continued this ministry called Baobei. And they receive these kids who have been abandoned by their parents with gross deformities. They welcome them in. They give them life-transforming surgeries, and they find homes for all these abandoned kids. I spent a week with my cousin in Taiwan, and she said, all my life, I've just been wanting to be spent for God's glory, and I feel like now I'm finally there. My life is just being spent on God's glory, and it feels so good. $4.5 billion. God's solution is the death of his son. God's plan is you guys. Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to look at your, your, your bulletin. There is a sheet that says, what can I do? Or actually, I think it says, what can we do? 
what I'd like to do is give you just a couple minutes to look at that sheet. And then if the Holy Spirit is compelling you to make a commitment, I'm going to ask you in the space of three minutes to say yes. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning and asking you to make a commitment, maybe it's small, maybe it's huge, maybe it's somewhere in between. There is some time for you right now to say yes. And what I want you to do is if you feel compelled to say yes to any of those four that are uh, in the response to what can we do, then I want you to write that commitment on the communication card. You guys have that card. It's in your bulletin. I want you to write that commitment, and then we will know what God's doing, at least a little bit better, and we will pray for you guys and we'll support you in any way we possibly can. But one way to solidify that commitment is not just to keep it to yourself, but actually communicate it to pastors and staff who want to pray for you and encourage you. I'm going to give you just two minutes. Just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond? Are you calling me to do something? And this is your time to go ahead and respond. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come forward and just to play some music in the background. But for the next couple of minutes, it's time for you and God just to talk and for you to say yes to God, whatever he's calling you to do.